0: The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We are talking storylines for Packers, Buccaneers that aren't Brady and Rodgers. We will also talk about why the Brewers' last horrific loss has put me on the brink. And then we will do some revisionist history lessons with Steve Wojciechowski. Make sure that you're following along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on TikTok and Instagram. We are nearly, nearly, at 500 for TikTok, I'm five away. Follow your boy. We'd love to get to 500. I gotta tell, I think I told you guys. Like I was trying to get to 500 by the start of football season. Love to get to 500 before the Buccaneers game. Um, appreciate everybody who's been enjoying that content. Uh, the Lazard thing we did. Earlier this week, went viral for my standards, uh, as I like to say. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, hopefully we get some more that pop off this week. Also, make sure that you are rating and reviewing if you are already subscribed. If you're not subscribed, subscribe to podcasts. Uh, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on wherever you get your podcasts. If you came in from the Lazard video, you're like, oh, this guy's a podcast, that's cool. Uh, would love to have you, love to be, have you be part of our community, uh, and yeah, much more. Uh, so looking forward to that. I'm so excited to talk today and excited to talk storylines along with the other things that we have in the hopper. So let's waste no more time and dive right into it. Packers and Buccaneers are playing this week. It is the Packers' first matchup with a team outside of their division, but it is equally as important as a division game. If the Buccaneers are as good as we think they might be, this game matters for the Green Bay Packers. If the Packers win this game, they have a tiebreaker over the Buccaneers when it comes to playoff time. They have that head-to-head matchup. They might not have that with, let's say the San Francisco 49ers who somehow they do not play this year, which is, I mean, fine. I think we will all take that, but they don't have a head-to-head matchup with the San Francisco 49ers. They don't have a head-to-head matchup with the New Orleans Saints, not assuming that the Saints are going to be good, but you get the idea, right? The head-to-head matchups matter when it comes to how things get seeded out in the playoffs. And the Packers will have that against teams like the Rams, teams like the Buccaneers this week, and the Philadelphia Eagles. So those are all important games that are almost like pseudo-divisional matchups. Now, Green Bay has to go to Tampa for what seems like the fifth fucking time. They always seem to play in Tampa. They can't avoid it. Now, you're like, Charlie, how does this happen? If you're unfamiliar with it... The schedule is kind of set up every year. Like we already know that the Packers next year will either go to an NFC West opponent or go to an NFC East opponent. I don't have it on me, but basically how it works is that the NFC West this year came to Lambeau. So that's why the Rams will be in in Green Bay in December. The Rams too could have the same complaint that we always seem to play at Packers in Green Bay, which I think this will now be the third time if you count playoffs that the Packers and Rams have played in Lambeau Field in less than two years. But then you also have the other side of it where you go to the NFC South. So it will be reversed next year. I don't know who the Packers play. I could look that up actually for it. Let's let's look it up real quick. So you guys have a, a better understanding of how that sort of breaks down. Because I, I think it's good to know this. So you're not it like kind of leaves you. It's not trying, you're not trying to be the smartest guy in the room, but it at least gives you that solace that the that the NFL is not out to get you or anything like that. The Packers will go to an NFC East opponent, so wherever they finish. So let's say the Packers finish first again, and the, let's say the Eagles say they might have another visit to Philadelphia. Then also the Packers will play the NFC West at home, so they could see the Rams forget another year at home. That's wild. The NFC South will be coming, you know, play the entire NFC South which includes Tampa and New Orleans at Lambeau Field next season. So they will get Tampa Bay and New Orleans regardless if old ass Brady is gonna play at 46. But I I highly doubt this. It's probably the last Brady-Rogers matchup, but we are not gonna talk Brady-Rogers because I think every topic about Brady-Rogers has been drilled into the ground. I think we already know. And Rodgers has said on Pat McAfee's show, he didn't really say it this week, but he said it in the past, that it's really not a, the quarterback to quarterback matchup is not that important. He's not, a, Tom's not a safety, I think is what Aaron has said. Like, Tom doesn't really matter on how my performance is. It's kind of this dick measuring contest that we like to do in the hot take world. But in reality, it doesn't matter that much. And we already know kind of where Brady and Rogers sit. Now, if Aaron Rodgers were to reel off two more Super Bowls, I think then you have to have a discussion at least about where Rodgers stands with Tom Brady. Tom Brady does get called the goat and things like that, but I I think it's a, you bring that back to the table. But we aren't gonna go there because right now Aaron Rodgers has won Super Bowl. So, and again, it's not pertinent to the conversation of his matchup with Tom Brady. Rodgers has been successful against Brady in certain games, but again, it's the defense of the New England Patriots that Rodgers was successful against. He has not been as successful against Tampa, which we will talk about in part of the storylines later in this segment. But let's kick it off with storyline number one for me, and it is which running attack shows up in a big way. So both the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are trying to run the football a little bit more. I would say Tampa more so than Green Bay. Tampa has really ran the football well uh, for the first two weeks of the season. Leonard Fournette didn't necessarily have as good of a game against New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints do have a pretty solid run defense, but it is a focus for them. And with the Packers struggle against the run last week, I think that they are going to have to tackle. Leonard Fournette is not an easy guy to bring down. They're going to have to make sure that they are wrapping up, that they are hitting him at the point of contact, that they're not letting him get loose. I think it's also very important that the safeties actually show up in this fucking game. Darno Savage and Adrian Amos have been the weak spot for the Packers so far this season. It would be really good for them to show up and start playing football again. Because if they are not, that's gonna be a problem. And then I think we really have an issue at safety and we really have to think about how do we get out of this, right? Adrian Amos, I'm not gonna overreact, but I, I just will put it out there that if he continues these struggles, I do wonder if the Packers missed the boat on him being washed and they should have seen that coming. Um, sometimes you're a year late on that. I think it's a quote, it's like, it's a known quote, but I feel like Ted Thompson used it a lot where it's like, you bet you're you better to be a year early than a year late. And I think Belichick has applied this philosophy really well. Richard Seymour is a great example of that, right? He traded Richard Seymour at his peak, but then Richard Seymour started to trail off. You could argue, that the Packers might've done that with Devontae Adams, but again, they were gonna pay Devontae. So I I don't know how much water that actually holds. So yes, the Green Bay has to stop the run. And then on the other side, Tampa's run defense is not as good as it's been in the years past. It's been impossible to run on Tampa Bay, but New Orleans got some gashers. Uh, New Orleans really did a good job of sort of pushing the ball downfield. Now it didn't result in any points, But New Orleans was pushing the ball a little bit when it came to running the football. And they they weren't at full strength. It was Mark Ingram running the ball. And all due respect to Mark Ingram, he is not the same player that he was a couple years ago. Like Mark Ingram is definitely past his prime. And speaking of which, that's also the true with Ezekiel Elliott, who they faced in week one. This will be the toughest run offense that Tampa has faced so far this season with Aaron Jones and with A.J. Dillon. And I think a guy like Dylan can really wear down a team in the hot Tampa, Tampa environment. So yes, I think Jones and Dylan are gonna be very important to this game. I do think the fact that it is hot out there, it's not going to be a nice weather game for the Packers and any know shape of the word i think right now we're looking at an 89 degree day in tampa bay so you're gonna need to kind of balance both guys and spill both guys so that they are spell not spill spill spell both guys so that they are not going to be dehydrated or exhausted in this one for what it's worth the new orleans saints had 102 yards and averaged 5.1 yards per carry against Tampa Bay. Like I said, it didn't result in any points. Uh, They only scored 10 overall, but it's at least worth noting, at least making note that there was some success against that Tampa run defense. Can Tampa survive, storyline number two, can Tampa survive with their likely third string tackle? So Josh Wells is not gonna play. He was their backup tackle to Donovan Smith. Donovan Smith dealing with a hyperextended elbow. They are gonna be down to their third left tackle. That is not good with a 45-year-old quarterback. That's equally not good with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, who have been harassing quarterbacks through the first two weeks of the season. Gary has to be licking his chops in this game. Hopefully Gary can keep it composed, but Rashawn Gary has a chance to have a breakout performance. This this has all the makings of Rashawn Gary having anywhere from two to three sacks and making an impact on this football game. I would not be surprised if Rashawn Gary shows up in a major way. Now, also Preston Smith on the other side of the ball has been incredible so far this year. Now, the Buccaneers are a little bit better on that side of the offensive line, but you can't ignore what Preston Smith has been doing. I thought the stat that Preston Smith has the best rate of snaps to pressures than anyone else in the league. Better than Micah Parsons, who's apparently the next Lawrence Taylor. Everybody has to call him the next fucking Lawrence Taylor, which is so damaging in a lot of ways. And we can talk, we can do a Chuck's Corner on how that's so stupid and so out of control. But anyways, Preston Smith has the best number so far. But that guy is getting home a lot. And so I do think the Packer pass rush can be a thing. I do worry a little bit about the depth of the pass rush. I do think that that's important. I think this is actually a good opportunity to use King- Kingsley Barge to use Jonathan Garvin. Like I think those guys should be rotated in a little bit more just considering the elements, just considering the weather. I wanna make sure that Gary and, P- and Smith are kind of bringing the same energy in quarter four, and that could be helped by Embargo and Garvin, you know, doing a little bit more. I do think Green Bay, if they can find that third edge rusher, I think would be really, really important. It could be Embargo, it, it really could, and and I'm I'm hoping that's the case as the year goes on. Storyline number three is Tampa's secondary as legit as people are making it out to be, or is it a bit fraudulent? So Tampa's secondary has done really well against Jameis Winston and Dak Prescott. But there, there you go, Jameis Winston and Dak Prescott. Both, both guys are mid-level quarterbacks. Dak's a little bit better than maybe Jameis, but they're still not top 10 quarterbacks. The Buccaneers have not seen a top 10 quarterback yet this year. So it enters Aaron Rodgers. And I know the, second, the wide receivers, Have not maybe had the best start. Um, I shouldn't say that. It's just more, I think there hasn't been somebody who emerged. Is it Sammy Watkins? Is it Alan Lazard? I think Rodgers mentioned that there's more they can do with Lazard. Will we have the Romeo Dobbs or Christian Watson breakout game at some point? Because I I do think that will happen. Do I think it will happen against Tampa secondary? Probably not because they're really fucking good. But are they really good because of the guys they play? Or is it the guys that are out there? You look at that, Jamal Dean, uh, Carlton Davis, Antoine Winfield, Logan Ryan, who they picked up in free agency, Mike Edwards. They are as healthy as they've been in that secondary unit then really they've been in a long time. Uh, when the Packers played Tampa last year or in 2020, they were very banged up as part of the reason why I thought the Packers were gonna win was because that secondary was completely banged up. They are fully healthy um, and they have given Rodgers fits in the past. Uh, Rodgers, remember, threw a couple interceptions in Tampa last year or two years ago. So I do think that Rodgers will be ready for the secondary and know what he needs to do. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a test and we'll see how legitimate this defense and secondary looks when they're actually playing a real quarterback. And sometimes this happens in the NFL where a team might be 2-0 or a team might have a staunch run defense or a staunch pass defense or this awesome passing offense. And then you look at who they've played and you realize they're playing the bottom feeders of the league and all of a sudden they level up and it's like, oh wait, we're not this good. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. This is where having somebody like Devontae Adams would help. Like, no lie. Like, this would definitely be a game that you need a Devontae Adams like player, but hopefully Green Bay can get it done with the other guys on the field, whether that's Aaron Jones, whether that's Robert Tunyon, whether that is one of the receivers stepping up. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be all of them. Uh, not all of them need to be Aaron Jones or uh, Devontae Adams. So we'll see what happens there. Storyline number four if we go to the Rodgers Brady discussion. Aaron Rodgers woes in Tampa Bay. Uh, It has been bad. Has not been good for Aaron Rodgers. He has struggled mightily in Tampa Bay. And there are stats to prove this. And it's, it's kind of a weird thing of Rodgers struggles, not only in Tampa, but also in Florida. He hasn't really been that good in Miami where the Packers will be on Christmas Day. This from Zach Jacobson. Aaron Rodgers in four career games against the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. 55% 55% completion rate, 22, 227 yards per game, five touchdowns, eight interceptions, a 64.2 passer rating, and he's been sacked 14 times. He's at least thrown two interceptions in three of the four games. So if you're looking for like a prop maybe, and you're not a Packer fan, one and a half over on the interceptions for Rodgers is actually probably good value in this game. So can Rodgers, figure out his Tampa Bay woes. How do you sort of get out of that mindset? Like, how do you figure out the state of Florida that Rodgers has really, really struggled and Tampa has had good sort of success against him? I think you have to make it as easy as possible for Rodgers. I realized what Rodgers said to Pat McAfee on Tuesday where he was like, hey, look, it's not going to be maybe this way with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Like we don't have a specific amount of snap counts and basically pushing back on the idea that the offense runs through Aaron Jones, what we talked about on Monday's show. I think Rodgers is like, this is still my team and he's not ready to kind of give the reins. It was a very Rodgers a- answer. And I'm not saying this is like him being a diva or him having an ego. It's just it's just who Aaron Rodgers is. Like I'm not surprised that that's Aaron Rodgers' attitude. But if Aaron Rodgers is smart, this game starts with Dylan and Jones and you're doing things that are easier on the Green Bay Packers and not necessarily going for the home run balls, going for the long play action plays. Like those type of things are not happening against Tampa until you're comfortable. I think Aaron just needs to kind of do a sniff test in that first quarter, you know, when you sniff sniff your pits and are like, all right, do I stink? Do I not? Uh, are these jeans dirty or are they not? Like that's the kind of thing that Aaron Rodgers needs to do in that first quarter. There needs to be sort of a sniff test to be like, what do I have here? Or like when you're on the, the treadmill, a little less gross, when you're on the treadmill and you kind of crank it up to like your top speed, like, all right, do I have it today or do I not? Like that's the kind of thing that Aaron Rodgers needs to do in the first quarter and maybe even into the second quarter. Like I wouldn't mind Green Bay being a little more conservative to start this football game. If Green Bay is a little more conservative, I'm not gonna freak out. I really am not because all of the struggles that Aaron Rodgers has, I'd rather him get settled in and start feeling comfortable here. So whatever the whatever the demons are, I don't want them to come back. And I think the worst case scenario for the Green Bay Packers would be a early interception or an early turnover. Remember, Rodgers two fumbles through two games. So hopefully that can be cleaned up. But I I think the Packers need to sort of script the first 15 to be a little more conservative, give Aaron Rodgers some easy looks and let him feel comfortable in Tampa Bay, which has been a house of horrors in the past. And Rodgers will know, Rodgers will hear about it. I'm sure the media today will ask him about it. Like, how do you fix that? And we'll see what happens. Um, So yes, I, I hope that Rodgers can kind of figure out those woes as we continue. Last storyline before we move on. Can Tom Brady do this without his wide receivers? We'll know about Mike Evans, I think, today. Um, we'll get the ruling on if Mike Evans will stay suspended or if he he will win his appeal. I doubt that Mike Evans will win his appeal. He's a repeat offender. He deserves to be suspended. I saw that the league also told Bruce Arians, like, hey, you can't sort of be a shithead on the sidelines. Like, that is, that is not necessarily... Allowed like we like you're a special advisor, you're not the fucking coach. So we'll see what happens with it when it comes to Mike Evans, but I highly doubt Mike Evans will be out there. They did add Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley will likely be on the roster for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Cole Beasley hasn't played in a long time. I think Cole Beasley could be successful for Tampa. I just don't know if it's going to be this week. I'd be surprised. So it's going to be Brashard Perriman. It's going to be Russell Gage like I don't know I don't know if Brady Brady's done this before with New England but this is a different offensive line this is a different Packer defense they're going to really need to rely on that run game and I think the Packers are going to attack Brady whenever there are third and longs so I think pressuring Brady especially up the middle is how you win I think this is how you win the game and the fact that you have receivers that are going to struggle I think you could really frustrate them, especially with some man concepts. I understand this is a zone defense. I get that. But if Green Bay had a little more man concepts and a little more just frustrating guys at the, at the line of scrimmage and maybe then dropping into small zones, like that to me works a lot better. And I think Jair Alexander was playing a little more like a rover uh, last week in Chicago. And I expect to see something similar where if Jair can kind of read what's going on, he'll make a play on a ball. Like the, the play, the interception he made was incredible. Like he was on the other side of the field and went all the way across to make an interception on... On Justin Fields. I would not be surprised if we see something similar with Alexander. Brady has really struggled to start the season. I mean both Brady and Rodgers have but I think Brady has been more concerning than I would say with Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't say Rodgers struggles. I worry because at some point the dragon's going to get unleashed and we saw it last year and we can see it again this year. So I feel like the backers have more of an advantage. I think Tampa's where I look at how I look at this at least today, and we'll talk more about it with Mitch tomorrow, is like I look at it as I like I think the Packers have an advantage at quarterback. I think the Packers have an advantage when it comes to their pass rush against the Tampa offensive line. I think where I worry is the the Leonard Fournette angle and running the football against the Packers. I worry about the idea of do you have do you have enough when it comes to uh, the Tampa Bay woes that Roger struggles against. I worry a little bit about that Tampa secondary, even though I, again, I wonder how good they actually are. So I really think this is an even game. Like I know Tampa's favored by one and a half. I will talk betting later this week, but I, I don't know, man. This is, a, this is a tough one. This is honestly one of those where it's borderline to stay away and, and do something. You could do something fun if you think the Packers won't, We'll talk more. I won't ruin my Friday. I shouldn't ruin my Friday segment. I was about to go into what I would do, uh, but we won't ruin that. Uh, let's not Let's not do that. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers, unfortunately. Uh, I thought we were going to talk about a good Brewers experience. I thought we were going to get a good Brewers game. Brewers were up 4-0. Uh, things were going well, and then things went off the rails. I saw a guy... On Instagram, who said if the Brewers had played at, had had Ashby for an entire game, and ended up being a bullpen game. Is as Ashby just getting back from injury, which is completely understandable? They probably win this game. Ashby looked really good. I will give him that. I I don't know if I can go that far, just giving the fact that Ashby has fallen apart in different scenarios. The Brewers luckily didn't have any. L- ground lost in the wild card race because the philadelphia phillies also lost as they have lost five straight it seems like phillies and the brewers are in a competition of who can fuck up more to not get a playoff spot the padres have now won four straight they're at one and a half games up on the phillies it looks like the padres are comfortably into playoffs i think we can say that i think it's unless of a massive collapse i realize There is some weird shit that has happened with that team, but I would be very surprised at this point if the Padres are not in the playoffs. The question is, can the Brewers find a way to leapfrog the Phillies? And I just don't know. This game took a lot out of me, I will admit. This was one that was really, really tough to take because of the struggles that I've seen. Like, I, I just, it's, the fact of the matter is, is like the Brewers were up for nothing. I realize the Mets are very, very good. I realize they are one of the best teams in baseball. You could argue they might be the best team in baseball. But they had them on the ropes. They had them up, down for nothing. Brad Boxberger, who has been, uh, I think, a disaster this year. Like I think not enough has been made about how bad Brad Boxberger has been. Uh, he gets out there. He hits a batter, gives up a single. Then a home run to Pete Alonso. Then you have Taylor Rogers, who's been equally trash. Taylor Rogers can't find the strike zone. Heaven forbid we put any sort of guy in the bullpen and get someone ready to go so that he's not facing Francisco Lindor. Like, there's no reason Taylor Rogers should have faced Lindor. Hell, there isn't even a reason he should have faced Mark Canna. Like, Mark Canna is very good against left handers. They were lucky to avoid that. Lindor should not have been Rogers' guy. That should have been Matt Bush. Like, Matt Bush should have been out there to face. Lindor, and then he would have got Alonzo and Escobar going forward. Instead, Craig Council kept him out there. Craig Council kept him out there for for not the entire inning because they ended up going with Matt Bush. But like, it was it, like he waited a guy too long. Can't can't fucking happen. Like that just cannot happen. Yet Craig Council is oblivious to it. Like after Rogers had thrown nine balls in a row, there should have been a guy ready and waiting. And yeah, let's see if Roger, the leash was way too fucking long. And then the Brewers get a chance. They get a chance to potentially tie this game back up. Keston Hura should be at the plate. Keston Hura has had a lot of late game home runs. The late game numbers for Keston Hira have been pretty good. Uh, and does he get a chance to tie up this baseball game? No, they go with Jace Peterson. And I've said before on this podcast, I never trust Jace Peterson anything after a seventh inning. I can think on my hand, like Jace Peterson coming up with a big moment. The guy just is not clutch. There hasn't been a lot of clutch moments with Jace Peterson. Sure, the Tampa, the uh, San Diego game, which coincidentally was against Taylor Rogers, and kind of sent Taylor Rogers into the spiral. uh, But that was it. And I don't think Jace Peterson was gonna tie up the game with a home run. And Council's like, oh, it was the splits. It was Hira's struggles. Just say you fucking hate the guy. Okay. Just say you fucking hate Casting Hira and you can't trust Casting Hira and you've ruined his career. Okay. Like, I feel so bad for Casting Hira. Casting Hira is going to be so good for somebody next year, whether it's the Tigers, whether it's the Guardians. I don't know why I'm thinking of AL Central teams, but whether it's the fucking Braves next year. I like, I don't know, but Casting Hira is going to be awesome for somebody. And I'm going to drive me nuts because the blood is on Council's hands. Council mismanaged that guy so fucking much. And the fact that he did not trust Keston here on that spot says everything I need to know. Absolutely ridiculous. I I like Jace, okay? I've gotten better with Jace. I used to not really like Jace. But I, I just don't, that's indefensible in my opinion. And that's the part of the stuff where I'm like, all right, I'm almost out. Like, I am very close to just saying it's done. There's no way they're coming. They're going to come back. But I just can't, man. It's so hard. It's so fucking hard. I wish the Phillies were on a five game win streak and I could just put this thing in the trash and say, all right, cool. We're on to the Packers. We're on to the Badgers. And we're not going to worry about this. And we can start kind of thinking about the Bucks, which is about a month away, give or take. Like, we could start thinking about that type of shit. Instead, we can't. Instead, we have to look at this and say, okay, um, there's still a chance. And it's like, at this point, and I I think this is more a conversation for Mitch next week, um, when we'll see where the Brewers are at. Do we want to be in the postseason? Do we really want to go through three games with the Cardinals and see how that goes? Now there's a chance, because the Brewers have played the Cardinals pretty damn well, that maybe they have a chance. And I'm not that excited about the Cardinals pitching staff. And oh, by the way, the Cardinals have not really had that great of a September. For as good as their August has been, they're kind of sort of, I would say a little bit lollygagging in the month. Like they they win, win a couple, lose a couple. They haven't really developed any sort of consistency. And, but they really don't need to trot. Like they're gonna win the division. There's no question about it. And so that's why they're like, you know, money's in the bank. It's kind of that house money. They can't get to the, the two seed. They're not good enough. So it's like, all right, we know we're going to be the three seed and we're going to play either the deck Brewers or the deck Phillies. It's just a question of which one will actually rise to the occasion. And that's the fucked up thing. I can't pull away because the Phillies have another game against the Blue Jays. Blue Jays are fighting like hell to get home playoff, that crowd is rowdy as hell. There's still an outside chance they could win the division, but that's looking slimmer and slimmer by the day. Maybe yesterday's Pirates collapse in the ninth inning was all they needed to know like, hey, there's no going back here. And then the Phillies have to play the Braves and the Braves are in the same mode as the Mets where those two teams are fighting tooth and nail to try to win the division. So there's a lot of competition going on right now. And Blue Jays, Phillies tonight, you have Gosman against Wheeler. Now Zach Wheeler just coming off the IL, that's a big lift for the Phillies, but Gosman, who's been terrible at home, but he's been very good on the road. That's a tough way to try to get out of a losing streak. And then you follow it up, you have a day off Thursday, so the Brewers have another chance to get a half game when they play Cincinnati in Cincinnati, a, a series you should take full advantage of. And then the Phillies have to play the Braves again. And they have to, they do have them at home, which helps, but that's it, not easy. That's not easy, man. And so there is an outside shot of this. And I think I can't give up until like, it's like at four games or the playoff odds are so skewed the other way where I'm like, you know what? This is just not worth my my mental health. Right now, the Brewers are at a 20% chance. There's a 20% chance. That is pretty fucking low. I don't feel exactly that great about it, but I still will hold out hope. I think it has to get under 20 before I'm like, all right. I mean, if if the Phillies were to win today and the Brewers lose and it's three and a half, then it kind of gets to the point where you're running out of games. But I, I don't have any faith today with Adrian Hauser on the mound. Tyrone Walker has been pretty solid. I know he's not been as good on the road, but I, I just do not have any ounce of faith. But this is what happens, right? Brewers have a terrible loss, and then they find ways to make you start believing again and figure it out, and all, and it's like, oh, here we go. they're finally gonna get some momentum, Craig Tember, all this other bullshit, and it doesn't happen. And the last thought on council, My dad had a theory, and I can't remember. I think I told you guys this, but if I haven't, I apologize. My dad has this theory about that Council's going to step down at the end of this year and go into a front office role. I don't want Craig Council in the front office. I don't. I just hope he steps down and he's gone. Because I think Craig Council values things that that haven't been helpful for the Brewers. I think he's kind of screwed up the Escobar thing last year. Now, Escobar has done pretty well with the Mets. We talked about that yesterday on, on yesterday's show. But like, he, was, he kind of mismanaged that. He's mismanaged a hero thing. He values these scrappy utility guys who I don't really know have a role. Like, I don't really want Craig Council involved. I, I just, I kind of want him to leave. And it's not that I want him fired. I just think the Brewers are stale. And you need to kind of figure out how do you shake up that staleness? Is it just a bunch of players? Is it trading Corbin Burns? Which I think is on the table. I don't think that's off the table this this off season. I'll be curious to see if it happens. He has a ton of control left, so it would it would require a massive haul, and it would probably require big leaguers as well as minor leaguers. Um, but we'll see we'll see if that does occur. Uh, but yes, I am I'm on the brink. I will say I'm not completely out, but a couple more Phillies wins would probably have me just in my way where I'm like, all right, this is unrealistic and we'll still do reviews, we'll still cover it, but I don't know if the piss and vinegar will be there as much. Would actually be the first team in the review era to not make the playoffs from Brewers, Bucks or Packers. So that's crazy. Um, But that's a little side note for the people. All right, let's move on to Steve Wojciechowski so Steve Wojciechowski had an article written for him by Seth Davis. Seth Davis wrote a profile on where Wojo's at with his life right now. Uh, Steve Wojohowski is in Park City. He's enjoying yoga, coffee, coaching his kids. He's really kind of found the meaning of life. Uh, it seems like Wojo has sort of reset and found peace. And I think there's not a price you can put on that, especially when you go through a very stressful work environment. I think we could all relate to that when we've had stressful jobs where we're working our ass off and we're able to take a step back at that new job, or we might leave that job to you know, help out in the house, maybe be a stay at home parent, something like that. And you realize like, you start valuing life a little bit more I give Wojo a ton of credit for that. I think he, you know, you can't take that away from him, okay? Like, you really can't. I think that's important, and I'm happy for him from a mental health perspective. That's it. However, the idea that the fans and the media turned on Steve Wojciechowski is a little short-sighted from Seth Davis. Seth Davis, famed journalist for The Athletic, as well as CBS, Seth Davis is a Duke grad. Seth Davis has a Duke relationship. It was a nice piece about Steve Wojciechowski, but it was a puff piece. Jimmy Saxon, famous agent for, for Steve Wojciechowski more so in college football, but I guess he also does college basketball, which was new to me. When I saw Jimmy Saxon's name in the article, I was like, okay, this is driven by Jimmy Saxon. Oh, he got multiple calls to be a college coach. This was definitely... A way to sort of get Steve Wojciechowski's name back into the rotation. Steve Wojciechowski will be a coach next year for a team, probably a group of five team or, you know, kind of a mid major team, but Steve Wojciechowski will be there. And whether that is in the West Coast now, because it's like, oh, look, Steve's now in Utah. Like he understands, you know, sort of how it's different there. He's never been there before, sat in with Quinn Snyder. Like, there's a lot of things there to kind of pump up Wojciechowski. And then the part of the fans being mean and the fire Wojo chants, which I don't think existed. No one was really calling, calling fire Wojo in the stadium. There have been multiple Marquette fans who have basically refuted the idea that there was any sort of fire Wojo chance. He got booed pretty heavily on senior day and Marquette cut away from him very, very quickly. I think I was at that game. I think it was a Sunday game against Creighton. But remember, his last season was the pandemic plus season. There weren't fans for the first part of that season. I don't. I think there were fans at the very end, but it wasn't these raucous crowds for Steve Wojciechowski. And so, for that that reason, he wasn't accountable. There was no accountability for Steve Wojciechowski. And Seth Davis did not pressure him on any of that. There was none of that. Steve Wojnarowski refused the fucking change. Steve Wojnarowski was the same guy he was at the start of his job to the end of his job, okay? There was no difference. It was the Spider-Man meme. It was the same guy looking back in the mirror. And because of that, he lost his job. Steve Wojnarowski was also not pressured on losing Sam and Joey Hauser. Remember, that is on Steve Wojnarowski's hands. We talked about Keston Hero, right? Sam Hauser should have been a Marquette Golden Eagle. Sam Hauser should have been a guy that we look back and we were proud of Sam for winning a ring with the Boston Celtics, or not winning a ring, Boston they win, but being in the NBA Finals with the Boston Celtics. Now, there was still some pride there, but it wasn't the same. Not how we feel about Jay Crowder, how people feel about Dwayne Wade, how people feel about Wes Matthews, that, that wasn't the same with Sam Hauser. Sam Hauser left because Steve Wojciechowski pu- pushed him to play in a fucking meaningless NIT game with a hip injury. Steve Wojciechowski, if he just tells Sam Hauser get surgery, fuck the NIT, we're gonna be fine, a lot changes. And the relationship that Hauser had with Marcus Howard and Wojciechowski letting Howard sort of control the team and not putting his foot down to say that this was a family, that this was a balanced approach, that Howard needed to be a little more hands off, also didn't help. Joey Hauser, I don't care about because Joey Hauser came to Marquette, I think because his brother was there and not because he wanted to play at Marquette. He wanted to be at Michigan State where he is now. Like that, that, if Joey would have left, I think I'm still like, okay, well, Wojo did a good job of at least keeping Hauser. I mean, there's an alternate reality where if Hauser stays, Marquette's successful, Marquette has a really good year, and Steve Wojciechowski might still be the coach. So you could argue that Hauser leaving was the best thing that happened for Marquette basketball because Shaka has been doing a really good job from a recruiting perspective. Shaka sold out the student section, which I think is a first in a long time for Marquette. Shaka is making a community at Marquette. They're the better together. Shit is great. I think it's not as cheesy as win every day. It's it's really kind of bringing the unity and trying to bring the fans and the team together. And I do think Marquette's going to be another year of this scrappy team that people are going to kind of grit their teeth when they're playing against them. I think Marquette is a real shot to pull off a couple upsets in the early part of the season. They have they have some they have a tough non conference. Like don't get me wrong but I think Marquette can be successful. I don't have the same fears that I had with Wojciechowski and Steve Wojciechowski just wasn't a good coach. Will he be better the next time around? Probably, most coaches are, right? Most most coaches learn their lesson and figure out what they did wrong at the last stop. But some don't, like look at Tom Crane. Tom Crane probably got a bad rap at Indiana. And I think that it was really hard on Tom Crane but then he went to Georgia, and he's been terrible. I think he's still the coach. I can't remember if he got no, he got ousted. He's not there at Georgia anymore, is he? I think he got fired. I uh, was he was bad. Um, I have to look that up. I don't think he is though, uh, because like t- he didn't learn from his lessons. And so this idea that Steve Wojciechowski is suddenly at peace with all of this stuff—he was that coach. Yeah, he got fired. So no, no, Tom Green not not the coach at Georgia anymore. I didn't think so. Uh, he was pretty bad there. And we'll have to just see. We'll have to see, man. I, I just kind of hate this idea that everybody was sucking Seth Davis' dick for this and not realizing that Seth is a fucking dupe crit. All right? Like, how do how do people not point that out? Like, this was obviously written to get Steve Wojcicki back in the news. He will be in the coaching Kirk carousel. I wouldn't be surprised if... He starts doing media with Jeff Goodman. Jeff Goodman, another guy who loves to give opportunities to these beleaguered head coaches as he did with Sean Miller and Archie Miller. Uh, I think he also did with Frank Martin. Would not be surprised if Sean, if uh, Jeff Goodman does a similar thing with Wojo. Um, yeah, and so it's, it's interesting to watch him kind of try to build his career back up. But also I think we need to remember that no one in the media was that critical of Wojciechowski. Ben Steele is a hell of a beat reporter. He does a great fucking job. I never saw that from Ben Steele. I never saw Ben Steele being overly critical. And even so, I don't think the Milwaukee media or the Packer media is ever that critical. I think Steidman can get to a point with the Packers, but I also don't think he pushes it as hard as some others do. So I I totally do not buy into the sort of, oh, feel bad for me sort of bullshit for Wojo. It just doesn't there. All right, that does it for today's show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, Mitch, tomorrow, tapping the keg, uh, we should have a good show. Uh, We're talking Badgers. We'll talk importance rankings for Packers and Buccaneers. And we'll also talk about the Brewers. So we'll uh, we'll get there. Um, That should be our show tomorrow. So look forward to that. And yeah, we'll see you then. All right, take care. Bye.